Good morning, church. Glorious message and music. Let's pray. Lord, we come now as we sit under the authority of the risen, reigning Christ who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father and poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. And we ask now you take the word of God and make application to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for, again, your faithfulness during this very difficult time and different time. Um, in, in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis with economic uncertainties and questions about when businesses and churches and schools would reopen or not reopen, and with so much uncertainty, which brings anxieties and trauma to our souls. We have been confronted this week with news that police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota, brutally manhandled a man who died. A man who was pleading for mercy. And this action by the four policemen in Minnesota, Minneapolis, has led to universal disgust and anguish. For two days now, our nation, already emotionally and physically exhausted from COVID-19, has been beset with destruction in many of our major cities, including Charleston, South Carolina. It is a time for lamentation, grief, and soul-searching. I am thankful for the universal disgust and the call for justice from our Department of Justice to leaders, to the governor of Minnesota, the mayor of Minneapolis. I'm thankful for many expressions of clear thinking regarding the death of George Floyd. His girlfriend has pled with the people not to write, saying this would be against everything that this man ever stood for. Yesterday, the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lane Bottoms, gave an emotional appeal. I would encourage you to go to YouTube and watch her press conference. An emotional appeal regarding preserving the city that she loves. And she was joined by Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of Martin Luther King Jr. At the press conference, the mayor of Atlanta said that these actions of looters who smashed windows and threw bottles and rocks and knives at law enforcement part agents were not a protest and they were not Atlanta. She said, you're not honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement. When you burn this city, you're burning down our community. You are Disgracing this city, you are disgracing the life of George Floyd and every other person who has been killed in this country in an unjust fashion. We are better than this. We're better than this as a city. We are better than this as a country. And she made an emotional appeal as a mother of four children. The eldest is an 18-year-old boy and what this is doing for their future. Every January, we have Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a public holiday. 
as we remember the life of Martin Luther King. And almost every January, I read portions of or read something uh, entitled A Letter from a Birmingham Jail, written in April of 18 and 19, excuse me, 1963 by Dr. King, who had gone to Birmingham from Atlanta to protest some actions against the African-American community. It is an incredible letter. It's written to really the church, and it's written primarily to the church and the pastors of the churches, especially what he calls the more moderate white pastors. It's an, a great statement. I'm going to read a couple of statements from this letter this whole paragraph, Dr. King says, I'm just going to read it as you wrote it. I wish to commend the Negro sit-inners and demonstrators of Birmingham for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer, and their amazing discipline in the midst of great provocation. One day the South will recognize its real heroes, and they will be the James Merediths, who was the first African-American to go to the University of Mississippi, with a noble sense of purpose that enables them to face jeering and hostile mobs. And with the agonizing loneliness that characterizes the life of the pioneer, they will be old, oppressed, battered Negro women symbolized in a 72-year-old woman in Montgomery, Alabama, who rose with a sense of dignity with her people and decided not to ride segregated buses and who responded with un grammatical profundity <clears throat> to one who inquired about her weariness, quote, my feet is tired, but my soul is at rest, close quote. <clears throat> they will be the young high school and college students, the young ministers of the gospel, and a host of their elders who courageously and nonviolently sit in lunch counters, and willingly go to jail for conscience's sake. One day the South will know that when these disinherited children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for what is best in the American dream and for the most sacred values of our Judeo-Christian heritage, thereby bringing our nation back to those wells of democracy which were dug deep by the founding fathers in their formulation of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Please note that he's grounding this in the reality of Scripture and the American experience. It's a great letter. Earlier in the letter, he talks, he says this. I've heard numerous Southern religious leaders admonish their worshipers to comply with desegregation because it is lawful. But I have longed to hear white ministers declare, follow this decree because integration is morally right and because the Negro is your brother, close quote. In the midst of blatant injustices inflicted upon the Negro, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard many ministers say those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. Well, let me say this today in 2020, that every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. And they are worthy 
of respect and Christian love. That anybody that doesn't believe that and hold to that and run to that has never read the Bible and does not know Jesus. He also says this. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I've pondered this statement. Uh, it's, it's an incredible statement. Shallow understanding, not really dealing with issues, not really confronting them. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Let me say with, with clarity, I cannot fully understand what other groups ethnic groups, nationalities, walk through. I have my own perspective, but I'm called by the living God to enter into their friendship and to walk with them. And so when it comes to absolute misunderstanding or even understanding, there's no one alive other than Jesus has had absolute understanding. No one. So we all deal with these issues. But we can stand with each other shoulder to shoulder and say all men and women are made in the image of God and they're worthy of respect and Christian love. And we can stand with people and say, and we live as people who are broken people, that sin is universal. And then we can stand with brothers and sisters in Christ and say we stand beneath the, the, the cross of Christ and the shed blood of the Lamb of God has covered our sin and has made us the family of God. And then we can walk with each other in a sense of pilgrimage, of restoration as we go on together. And that is what the gospel calls us to do. And so this Sunday, I was going to preach a very different sermon but this is Pentecost Sunday. It is the 49th day in the church calendar after Easter where we recognize and celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that changes and reformulates, empowers us. John chapter 7, Jesus says, from your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water then John says, by this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He hadn't gone to the cross and shed his blood. He hadn't risen from the dead. He hadn't ascended to the right hand of God the Father, from which he poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit's New City Catechism, question 36. What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Answer, that he is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and that God grants him irrevocably to all who believe. In other words, the Holy Spirit, if you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you never, ever lose the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is God in you. Now, we grieve him. We quench him. Yes. And we lose the power. Yes. But we're always in the Lord. And so 
when I think of the Holy Spirit, I think that, that he, he, he convicts us of sin. You can't read this book and ponder this book and not be convicted about your sin. You just can't. You can breeze through it and read through it and slam that rhythm, but you can't really ponder the scripture and not be convicted. So he convicts us of our sin. He comforts us. He opens the word of God to our understanding. He exalts the name of Jesus. Jesus says, he shall glorify me. And he empowers us to live the Christian life. And so I look at those things and I say, come Holy Spirit. So this morning I want to speak about the coming Messiah King and how a man named Micah dealt with that. Micah writing to the southern kingdom of Judea after the northern kingdom had fallen. And his message is this. If we don't repent and run to the living God, we too can suffer the same fate. And they did not. And they did about 120 years later. It's called the Babylonian captivity. But I'm going to go to Micah chapter 4. The first three chapters are about judgment has come, judgment is coming. But then in chapter 4, the clouds lift, the sun comes out, and talks about a glorious messianic reign. He says in verse 1, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above all the hills, and the people shall flow to it. How's that going to happen? Verse 5, For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And that day declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. It echoes 1 Corinthians for Paul writes, God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. That's what he's doing here. He said, well, how's that going to be accomplished? Chapter 5, verse 2. What's going to happen? But out of you, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth is from of old, from ancient days. This backwater village, Bethlehem, would be the place, the birth of the ancient of days, the eternal God. And this is what this eternal God will do. Verse 4, chapter 5. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he will be their peace. This great Messiah King will stand and nurture and shepherd and love and give security and peace to his people. Behold the majesty of the coming Messiah King. But even in the midst of this great promise, Micah reminds them that they must be a people who constantly run to the reality of the Messiah. Run, we would say to the cross, run to the Lamb of God. Chapter 6 is about a lifestyle of repentance. 
In verses 3 to 5 of chapter 6, it's as if the Lord has taken his people into a courtroom. And he says, oh, oh my people, what have I done to you? How have, have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what I've done for you. And then he says this. He says, I, I gave you the sacrificial system as for signifying the Lamb of God who would die on the cross for your sins. That's what the sacrificial system does. It shows you that there's forgiveness through the shed blood of a perfect sacrifice. But he says this, what, what, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? And then Micah puts it in overdrive. He says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn? For my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. Verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what we're called to do. Then he ends the chapter by saying, there's, there, there, you're standing at a trailhead, and, and there's two trails. You can go down one trail, he says, that is typified by some of the kings of the northern kingdom who were idolatrous people who sacrificed their children, and it leads to destruction. And if you go that way, the way of self, the way of denying God, the way of ignoring the reality of God, and the counsel of Almighty God, if you go down that path, he says, here's what you're going to receive. He says, you shall eat, but you'll never be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you. And you shall put away money, but you will never preserve it. You will, and what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You will sow, but you will not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. And you shall tread grapes, but not drink sweet wine. For you have kept the statutes of ungodly people. Therefore, you will be a desolation. So, so you, you read this, and the call to justice and mercy and humility. And you think about the extent of the trailhead. And which trail do you take? And you go back to chapter 1. And in chapter 1. He's talking about the judgment that has come. Verse 16, he says, Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Shaving the head in the day of Micah was a sign of extreme despair, of utter desolation. And he says here, make yourself bald for the children of your delight because the generations will inherit the culture that you are producing. 
the environment of your family, the environment of your nation, here Israel, will be what your children will inherit. With every passing month, I find myself more and more committed to and prayerful for the coming generations. That's why I, I love and value our children's ministry. I pray for and value and love our, our youth ministries, our, our campus outreach ministry to our college campuses, our school, Palmetto Christian Academy. I, I just, it, it thrills my heart to pray for these and to think about the future that by God's grace they will inherit, but also know the corresponding reality of going down the wrong path and, and reaping the whirlwind. I've just spent the last few days with my five grandchildren, all under the age of four and a half. And I am one happy, fulfilled, thankful, tired man. But what a joy. What a joy. And so, so I, I look at this path. The gladness is set before us, the joy of the Messiah, the joy of the Messiah who shepherds and loves his church. I'm going down the other path. And, 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 then, and then part of the linchpin is Micah 6 8. Let me just walk through that. You must be people who do justice. In, in Matthew 23, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, and, 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 and he says this. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, spices, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat but swallowing a camel. He says, you know, it's good to tithe. It's good. But the tithe represents a heart that is open to the Lord and the heart that pleads, God, make me a person who pursues justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so Micah 6.8 says, the linchpin of this whole argument is, is you must do justice. So my question is, is your heart burdened for those who some of whom cannot speak for themselves? Is your heart burdened for those who are marginalized? Today, is your heart burdened for our, our African-American brothers and sisters? The family of George Floyd. And those who are often accused of wrongdoing simply because of their ethnicity. This ought not to be. And so the scripture calls us to do justice. To walk in solidarity with people who will benefit from the friendship of God's called out people. And, and I read this church and I've, I've got, I, I think how easy it is to be involved with trivialities and miss the big picture, how, how, how easy it is to be overcome with Hulu and Netflix and the upcoming, hopefully, college football season. 
and, and to miss the big picture, which is to plead for justice, to walk with people who are hurting, to as much as we can in our limited perspective, to enter into their pain. Just one side, just one issue, just, just one, just one other issue. Just, I'm often asked people, have you heard about the Uyghur people of China? I get a blank stare, and it's not their fault. But there are 10 million of these Muslim minority people in China called the Uyghurs. I met them when I went to visit Zach in China 10 years ago, 12 years ago now. And because they didn't fit into the society, the Chinese government has now put them into concentration camps. They're calling them re-education camps. It's really concentration camps. And the State Department says there are two million of them in these camps. The Uyghur International Foundation says, no, there's more like three million. And I, I, I read that and I, I think about the Rohingya people of Burma and so forth and so on. And I just go, God, let my heart be burdened for those things that break your heart. And this week, right now, today, my heart is burdened for our country. So I want, to, I want to do justice. You should do justice. And as you do justice, he says, love mercy. Love the mercy of the cross. Does the cross motivate me? Does the gospel define me? Do I extend kindness to those around me? Am I forbearing and patient? There's a little verse in Ephesians 4, and every time I read it, it causes a shudder to go through my spirit. He's, Paul's talking about a list of laundry list of what we should and shouldn't do. And then he says in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, be, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another, just as God has forgiven you in Jesus. I'm going, oh my gosh. Wow. Or you pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so I ask, as I look at this, does, does, does mercy define you, God's people, because you stand at the foot of the cross and you've been covered by the blood of the Savior? Do you extend that mercy to other people? You, start, you seek to understand and walk with them. And then he says, walk humbly with God. The gospel of grace produces humility. The gospel of mercy that God has poured into our lives produces humility. We are what we are by the grace of God. God in everlasting, eternal, triune love drew us unto himself. He's given us the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin, that comforts us, that opens the Scripture to our understanding. The Holy Spirit exalts the name of Jesus and empowers us to live. Come, Holy Spirit. One of the great joys of a Christian world and life view, and it's an incredible joy, but it's a corresponding burden. One of the great joys of the Christian world and life view is understanding that we are made in the image of God, 
that we're saved by the work of Christ and that the Holy Spirit has gifted us with gifts and talents and resources to bless those around us. The, the, the burden is that you can't live for yourself when you get that. The burden is you don't do your own thing. The burden is you stand under the authority of, of, of Scripture and, and you are motivated by the, by the reality of Jesus. The, the other alternative is to believe that you're some type of giant but glorious maybe mistake. There's no pattern. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. There's, so, so you live for yourself. That to me would be incredibly defeating and despair producing. But if you're a child of God, by faith in the finished work of the cross, you have received the Holy Spirit who has gifted you and called you to be a person who, who responds to his leadership. Therefore, we do justice and we love mercy and we walk humbly with God. That defines who we are. We stand with our brothers and sisters. In 1992, there was a movie entitled A Few Good Men. I saw it a long time ago, so I'm not recommending it. Please, parents. But I'm, I, it was a powerful movie. It starred some of the best actors in Hollywood, including Jack Nicholson. It was a story about some Marines who were dealing with another Marine who wasn't meeting up to their standards, and they got carried away, and they really inadvertently led to his death. And so they were being tried for a heinous crime. And, and there was a team of Judge Advocate Generals, JAG lawyers, who were speaking out for these men and trying to get them from the most dire consequences of their actions. And one of the attorneys representing them was a young man who was full of himself and pretty cavalier about his attitudes. And one day after a long session in court, he looked at a woman who was a lieutenant commander in the JAG Corps. And he said to her, why do you like these Marines so much? And this is what she said. And it's one of the greatest statements I've ever heard in movies. Here's the statement. Because they stand on a wall and they say, nothing is going to hurt you tonight, not on my watch. Boom. The cavalier young man couldn't even respond. He just kind of walked out. He said, I, don't, I can't. So I, I, I think about that and I think that all of us are called, the Bible refers to us as some of us, as watchmen on the wall and our responsibility. We need to look at those around us in our culture, our family, our friends, our community, the different groups, ethnicities, different groups around the world and say, listen, if I can speak into this with diligence and grace in the name of Jesus, I'm going to speak. And this will not happen on my watch. We will treat people with dignity. We will treat people like they should be treated because they're made in the image of God and they're worthy of respect and Christian love no matter what they believe or how they live. 
We'll be people defined by the gospel of grace and the mercy and peace of Jesus. Pray for our country. Pray for our city. And may we be people who stand and stand with dignity. Let's pray. Lord, we sang earlier about the reality of Jesus, and we said nothing can stand against you. You have no rival. You have no equal. And we say amen and amen. May the precious name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, make the name of Jesus precious in our lives. We pray that you would exalt the name of Christ, that you'd open the Bible to us. And as you open the Bible, that you'd comfort us and convict us and that you would empower us for living. Lord, we, we, we think of a, another hymn written many years ago that says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten un, to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. One little word shall fail him. And that word, we know, is Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, the eternal God, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God who died on the cross for our sins, we pray that you would win men and women to the reality of Christ. We pray you would protect us. We pray you would change our attitudes. You would make us watchmen that we would say with great great solemnity. This will not happen on my watch. And Lord, bring the church of the living Christ to a flourishing place of speaking the gospel to our community and our culture. Lord, please do that. Our prayers come. Please come. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.